So Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26. It's quite a short reading, just reading to, to you at verse 31. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So man created, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw that he had all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Nick, thank you. Okay, we're going to have a, I know it's a bit of an abrupt change of gear on a day like today, but we're moving between two series, and I wanted us to, we've, we've looked back, we've uh, paid due respect to what's gone behind, but there are big challenges in front of us. Um, now, I'm not just as, as a country, um, but as a race, um, and it's significant, and I think, I think it's worth us spending just a one week thinking about Christians and climate change and what our responsibilities are. And as you're aware, uh, we've had COP26 in Glasgow and they've agreed, I think it's called the Glasgow Climate Pact, although uh, it was watered down slightly at the end to the frustration of some of, the, some of those countries. There are some countries which, which exist only six or seven feet above sea level. Um, the entire nation, Solomon Islands, Marshall Islands, you saw that probably on the news. Um, if sea levels rise, those countries um, cease to exist. And the question then is, what is a, what is a Christian response to, to climate change? And I suppose you may be asking, are humans responsible for climate change? And I want to tell you that the answer is almost certainly. Almost certainly, but maybe there's a kind of little... Um, Nickel somewhere in your, in your mind that says, well, I'm, I'm just not sure. Um, and I want to tell you today, actually, that whether or not you believe it doesn't actually make any difference. Whether you believe humans are responsible for climate change does not make a difference to the response you need to make. So I think almost certainly humans are responsible for climate change. The Lord gives us what one writer called the dignity of causality. In other words, he gives humans the dignity of being able to make real change um, in the situations around them. And I think if that's true, then God has given us the ability to change situations, change our minds, change other people, change our circumstances, change the world around us. So we can't as Christians say, um, God doesn't allow this kind of thing to happen. God does allow this kind of thing to happen. He allows us to make real change. 
And I don't think scripture says that God is going to fix all humanity's mistakes. Certainly not this side of the new heavens and the new earth. There will come a day when God will make the whole earth new. There will be a a whole new earth. But in the meantime, God is not, uh, there's no promise I don't think in scripture, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any promise in scripture that God is going to fix the earth. Rather, in the meantime, I think he warns us through trouble. We'll come back to this um, later on. But there's an interesting passage in Revelation 9. And it's, just, it's in a scene where, uh, of Revelation where it, it talks about what looked like kind of natural disasters. It calls them plagues. And it says that the people who didn't die in these plagues still refuse to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continue to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, and wood did not repent of their murders, their witchcraft, their sexual immorality, or or their thefts. There's a sense, I think, in which, well, it's true that God warns us through trouble. And we have to ask, I think, on the other hand, rather than just ignore it, as Christians think somehow we're above it, actually uh, have to look at the the alternative, which is what what if global warming is the warning to humankind that we have not stewarded God's creation well? But even if you think that humanity is not responsible, even if you think that is not the case, um, you still need to act. We still need to act for two, two reasons, two simple reasons. One is that we are called to be good stewards of creation. Regardless of climate change, you and I are called by God to be good stewards of creation. So we read for, from Genesis 1 about God creating uh, mankind, humanity, in his, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So God speaks to, this, uh, to these in, in initial couple. So I think he speaks to them as individuals. Here he's speaking to them as a family. He's speaking to them um, as a race of human beings. So he's speaking to them on all those levels. And he gives four commands uh, about creation. I think here. Four commands that relate to creation. He says, fill it. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and, and subdue it. In the same way that the Lord has been filling the earth. I don't know whether you've ever noticed that, that Genesis is organized into, in, into, these, into that pattern. The first three days about creating spaces, and and, and the next three days are about um, filling those spaces. But the Lord delegates to human beings um, the task of of filling those spaces. So the Lord has filled um, the the skies with stars. He's filled the the oceans with creatures and and the skies and the land. But with human beings, he delegates to them that responsibility um, of filling. Um, For themselves, he says, fill it. And then he says, subdue it. Take control of it, bring it under control, make it useful. And then he says rule it, specifically he says rule over the creatures. And this is not just about food, and and actually uh, animals aren't for food until uh, Genesis 9. But they are clean and unclean animals, they're to take charge over it. And they are to own it. He says, I give it to you, I give you these trees um, for food. Or every seed-bearing plant, um, they will be yours. They're yours for food. So God has 
given creation to us to own it, to rule it, to take charge, to subdue it, to make it useful, and, and to fill it. Fill it with, with more human beings. What do good stewards do? Well, these are delegated responsibilities from the Lord, from God, so these are to be done in a godly kind of way. Fill does not mean push into poverty. It doesn't mean have so many kids that there aren't enough resources uh, for them to be sustained. A good steward is going to make sure that everybody has resources and everybody has space and everybody has education. Subdue is not going to mean exploit. It'll mean make it sustainably productive. So the, God put man in the garden. That was his first picture. It was there to be tended um, and to looked after and, and cared for um, and, and made productive. They're, they're to rule, but rule does not mean rape. You and I are called to rule over the, the creatures. We're not called to decrease biodiversity and allow habitats to be taken away. Uh, we're called to rule, and rule must be a, a beneficent rule that looks after. And we're called to own it, but good stewards, owning doesn't mean I guard this protectively for myself. It is mine, in a golemish kind of way. It means, yes, enjoying, uh, enjoying what God has given you with thankfulness, um, and sharing it and being open-handed. So even if you think that climate change is not man-made, we are called to model good stewardship. We always have been, and we're probably a bit late to the party. But there's a second reason why it doesn't matter whether you think climate change is uh, humanly caused, and that is because we are called to act justly towards the poor. The Bible has a lot to, to say um, about the poor. Just go and look it up. I think it's, a, it's something you can simply do, and I encourage you to do it. Find a way of doing this. Either get a concordance. That's a book where you can look up all the words in the Bible. So you could look up poor, and, and you could read all the words. Or you can do this kind of thing on Bible Gateway. Just encourage you to do. It's your easiest way of doing a bit of original Bible research for yourself. Um, and, and it gives you a list, and you could just read all those references. And obviously then you'll find um, some are about the poor, and some are about poor in spirit, and you'll, you have to work your way through. But do a bit of Bible research for yourself. Um, and one way would be to go away and look up poor. Most of those references to the poor about the poor in Israel or the poor in the church, they are our first responsibility, but I don't think that responsibility ends there. And historically, Christians have never said that... Um, the responsibility for the poor ends with those in church. Christians have been in the forefront. And we have to recognize that in climate change, it is the poor who will be hit the hardest. So Proverbs says things like this. this these are just a handful of references out of Proverbs. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. What an isn't that a massive statement? Well, if you give to the poor, it's like lending to the Lord. Would you not want that opportunity um, to lend to the Lord? And, and you lend to the Lord, as it were. Uh, you don't get it back, so it's not like other kinds of lending. Um, but you do get it back in the sense that the Lord rewards you. 
That's an amazing statement. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Wow. It's a direct threat um, from the Lord. If you don't listen to the poor, I am not going to listen to you. So in James, um, James 5, I think uh, he says, um, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Excuse me. It's lost me, Poppy. Try and get that back in there. The prayer of a righteous man is, is powerful and effective. And I don't think that means somebody who's righteous, who's justified by faith. But that's somebody who is justified by faith and is practically righteous and is godly. Prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you not want your prayers to be powerful and effective? Your prayers to be heard, your prayers to make a difference? Then you need to think about the poor. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. So concern for the poor is, is a characteristic of righteousness. It's characteristic of the righteousness that you have by grace through faith. But it is a characteristic of the good works that, that flow out of that. It is a sign that the Spirit of God is at work in you. And then I love this. Um, this is a saying of King Lemuel. Um, so these are some sayings that... Um, Solomon's already got, and he's tucked them in the end of his, his book of Proverbs in, in chapter 31. And they're the sayings of King Lemuel, and apparently it says, they're an inspired utterance his mother taught him, um, which I think is quite sweet. So King Lemuel, his mom said, look, look, mate, these are some things you need to, um, you need to remember. And one of them was this. So this is specific, you know, so this is especially for kings, but not exclusively for kings. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And it's not exclusively for kings because we are a democracy. And so we're all given a little bit of the business of government. So in summary, you could summary it up like this, uh, Micah 6. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And the opposite would be to be blind to justice, to do, to do mercy only grudgingly or not at all, and to proudly ignore God most of the time. We don't want to be that kind of person. And when Paul wants to encourage the, the Corinthian church to give, he, he, puts, he puts Jesus' work for you in these terms, in the terms of poverty and richness. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have experienced, in other words, you know, you have experience of, um, you have received the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, he was rich uh, in glory at God's side, yet for your sakes he became poor. Became poor. In other words, he shed all the glory of heaven. Uh, for the poverty of being a human, exist, uh, human existence, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So when, he, when he's concerned for the poor, Paul points you to Jesus. and says, Jesus knew poverty, and he knew it for you, so that you might become rich. 
Christians, two reasons then why you should take an interest in climate change. One, it is good stewardship. And two, it is acting justly towards the poor. But you might say, what can I do? What can I do? We live in this globalized world, you might say. And, and so much has changed, even in the last five years. We, we live in a world where companies are bigger than countries, in many cases. We live in a world where social networks kind of cross national boundaries. How can I make a difference? And in the past, this might have been a true statement. In the past, it was very different to make a direct impact on the world. You might have kind of like come to the end of your meal on occasions. Don't know whether this has ever happened. You think, gosh, I've got this food left uh, and I haven't got anything I can do with it. What, wouldn't it be great if, if I could give this to some starving child in uh, Ethiopia or South Sudan or Yemen or, or wherever it might be? And obviously, that wasn't possible. You could, you could give, and we give to Tear Fund, please. Support Tear Fund, the big quiz. Uh, organizations like that who are working uh, in areas where there is poverty and they bring the, go the gospel along with it. Well, I don't know whether you ever, when you pour water away, do you, do you never think, oh, if only I could pipe this. Um, if only I could pipe this across the world and it would miraculously appear. I, I, I kind of use so much grey water. You know, what, um, oh, don't work it. You might have to not record this, but what would the people in Africa give for my bath water? I happen not to kind of use many kind of soaps and products. My, my bath water is really good quality um, <laughs> wastewater. And, and what would they give for that rather than something that's come out of a river that's had kind of created bodies thrown into it? What would they give for the water that I rinse my toothbrush in? What, what would they give? But I can't. I can't pipe it a, a, across the world. Or governmentally wise, you may live, uh, as many of us do, in one of those areas where it seems that your vote doesn't even uh, seem to count. We could all go out <coughs> uh, and, and vote in, in Spellthorn and Quasi Quartang would still get returned. So it can feel hopeless, but actually times have changed. So in the past, our actions were limited. It could feel hopeless, but now you can act directly. You can act directly. Yes, companies are bigger than countries, but you can change what you buy. Since the rise of the loyalty card, um, I think, I don't know whether Tesco started that, but they were in the front, companies are minutely aware of, of what they sell and what you buy. Change what you buy. Change what you buy. It is a small, but it is a direct difference. You can make a direct difference to, to, to companies. And it's not like the voting in the election where you can say, I could change, but it's not going to make a difference. It, and it would take, you know, kind of 50% of people in Spellthor to change before it made a difference. No, you can change and it will make a difference. Small, but a direct influence. You can influence others online not asking you to become some great campaigner necessarily, but you might want to be. But you can, you can bypass constituency boundaries and influence people by what you do online, however small. 
simply by liking other people's posts and commenting on them. And it just brings small things in front, maybe of your friends or another group of people. And at this point in time, in the middle of an election cycle, I think governments are more sensitive to social media <clears throat> than they are to opinion polls. See that all the time, the government is responding, responding organizations are responding, Yorkshire Cricket Club is responding, primarily because their reputation is trashed and everybody knows that online. You can make a direct difference. You can go home and make a direct difference. The other thing you can do is you can reduce your carbon footprint. In other words, you can make a difference to how much carbon dioxide and methane and other carbon-based chemicals are going into the atmosphere. You can make a direct difference. You can go home and check whether your cavity walls are insulated. You can go home and check whether your loft is properly insulated. And if you don't, it will make a direct influence on whether low-lying islands will exist or not exist in, in 10 or 20 years' time. You can today have a direct influence um, on climate change by at least those three methods. It's not out of your control and you're not too small. But there are some potential excuses. If God's in control, won't he fix it? Not necessarily. Not this side of creation. Creation is groaning right up until this present time, um, Paul says. I don't see anything in scripture which says God is going to fix this. God warns, as we said before, by means of, of, of pain and by trouble. And understand this, that God doesn't have to add something new into a situation to, um, to, to throw out a warning. It just happens by the way he has made the world. So do you understand this? And maybe I'll explain. If you're a gossip, God doesn't come down and necessarily have to make things happen among your friendships. If, you, if, you, if you're a gossip, you will just have fewer friends because people won't trust you. Do you see what I mean? What happens in the world has consequences. If you're sexually promiscuous, you're more likely to get a certain kind of disease. God doesn't have to come down and inflict you with it. It, it just happens. That's how he's made the world. And maybe this is the same. God doesn't have to add climate change. Just having to say, let there be climate change. It is just what happens when you treat the world a, a certain kind of way. So, no, God is not necessarily going to fix it. We don't know. Maybe there's some amazing balancing mechanism God has set into creation, and if we wait long enough, kind of thousands of years, it will fix itself. We, we don't know that. But actually, we don't need to know that. We've got these two reasons. Um, the reasons of good stewardship uh, and justice to the poor to act now. If God's going to make everything new, does it then matter? Nick, you say God's going to create a new heavens and new earth. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm massively looking forward to it, where everything that has to do with sin or is created by sin or looks like sin has been removed. That's the real answer to those goggles, really, by the way. It will all have gone. But saying does it matter, it's a little bit like, I think, really what James says uh, in, in chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? 
can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. That's a strong statement, and I, I believe it more and more. It comes home to me increasingly. Uh, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So saying that um, God is going to create a whole new world, does it really matter if I intervene, is a little bit like saying, my friend has become a Christian, but they're really poor. Should I do anything uh, about their poverty? Yes, it does still matter. It, it matters for good stewardship. It matters for acting justly to the poor. Shouldn't we concentrate on the gospel? Yes, absolutely, but you cannot stop there. Partly because of what James has just said. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Danger is that we're actually dying without noticing because we're not acting on our faith. So it matters now that we act. It matters because of stewardship, it matters because of justice, and it matters for this third reason, because saving faith, trusting the gospel, then flows out in, in good deeds. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, Paul says, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then he goes on to say, for we are God's handiwork, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Listen carefully. Created, you are um, at God's handiwork. You are a new creation. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which, if you're worrying about, oh gosh, I've got to go and do good works. Which God has prepared in advance for you to do. Yes, he's saved by grace through faith. Yes, we're going to proclaim the gospel. But part of that proclamation of the gospel is that when you trust Christ, you're a new creation and he gives you good works to do, which he's got lined up for you. And maybe this is it. Where do you start? Well, reduce, reuse, recycle. Now, you see, Bob the Builder was saying that 15 years ago. Okay. I remember that on the video. Um, how amazing that we kind of like, oh, that's so sweet, that's really twee, what a good message for children, well, goodness me. Can you reduce what you consume? Can you reuse things rather than throw them away? Can, and when they come to the end of their life, can you recycle them? So I'm really intrigued, and I don't know who started this, but friends of Leyland School, um, you can ask uh, Heather about it, I think it was in Family News, um, have started a scheme where the school, because they're, uh, going for a certain eco-status are recycling all those annoying things which you can't recycle um, in, your, in, in your green bin. Um, so various kind of crisp, crisp wrappers and, and, and sweet wrappers and things. Pringle tubes. Yeah, the, no, the naughty Pringle tubes which you can't do anything with. Or, you know, they, they will recycle and actually they will get some money for them. You can recycle all kinds of plastic film stuff. And I encourage you to go and, and work out whether, you, whether it's got a recycling sign on the back. If it's got a recycling sign on it, find a way to recycle it. Don't put it in the bin. I'd like to have a challenge. I'm kind of 
how little can you put in your bin? How little can you put in your actual bin which goes to landfill? Okay, you should have a compost bin, you, um, you should have food waste, um, you should be recycling, you can do the Leyland School stuff. Um, Tesco's will take back your bags and your film. How little can you get um, it in your bin? That'd be one thing. Here's another easy starter, eat less red meat. Can you stomach that? It's not that hard, is it? It's about changing what you buy. It's about changing methane, which is produced by ruminants. So cows and sheep contributes to climate change. Uh, it's an easy change, and it will cost you less. Cost you less. Beyond some of those simple changes, but this is the hard thing to stomach. I think this is harder to stomach than eating less red meat. Um, beyond that, it's about reducing your carbon footprint. And beyond that, it will cost you more to be greener. I think that's the hard truth, and I think this is the sticking point. It is going to cost you more to be greener, probably. But we are richer to start with. Shouldn't the burden of reducing carbon fall on us first rather than on the poor people? And we, as, uh, in the richer nations, we're much more able to compensate um, for climate change. We have insurance, simple things like that. We have to, I think, start to think about this and start to stomach it. So it is up to us, I think, to reduce our carbon footprint. Have to stop using fossil fuels. I think that's really clear. Just polluting the world. They were a, a one-off deposit from the Lord, you know, put into creation, maybe to get us beyond a certain, certain point uh, in our progress uh, as a race. But now it's, it's, it's making the parts of the world uninhabitable, uninhabitable for people. And then we have to stop. I think that's really clear. And about half your carbon footprint comes from running, heating your home and running your car. So it's really difficult to change. Cheapest thing is making sure your loft is, is, is well insulated. So can you? Is your double glazing out of date? But even that, you see, that's kind of running into, that's running into, into thousands of pounds. But the alternative, is, if you haven't got double glazing, is that you're heating stains. Um, or wherever you live, and you're heating it using fossil fuels. At the moment, most likely. Is there something you can do then about heating your home, running your car? What's the next one? Your next new car should be electric. No, not, not, absolutely, there's no, no two ways about that. The government, are, are, um, no new cars, uh, petrol or diesel, beyond 2030, I think. Your next car, certainly if it's a new one, uh, sh should be electric. And electric cars will be cost about the same as much in, the next, in about four to five years' time. They'll cost about the same as um, petrol and diesel cars do now. That's massive, and that's a massive expense, but, but you can do a bill, and you can buy an electric bike. And that is one of the most, most carbon-friendly means of, of transport, apparently. Apparently, it's even more carbon-efficient than... Um, feeding him lots and getting him to pedal on a normal bike. 
because the electric bike is more, is more efficient than Bill's digestive system. It's just, um, so it, it's, we have to think ways around this. Your next boiler, your next boiler should be an air source or a ground source heat pump. I know this is a massive deal, but it, but it should be and it has to be, and government are looking at paying up to 5,000 towards that. There's indirect carbon in your shopping. I, I kind of haven't even really looked into that. Um, but obviously there's carbon use in, in you know, clothes that you buy um, and food that you eat is used in that. And I haven't even really looked into that. But I think the reality is this. If you are my age or older, we have lived through the kind of glory days. If, if you've lived between kind of like, say, you know, about 1955 and now, these were, those were the days when um, antibiotics were new and worked and there wasn't antibiotic resistant. These were the days when um, fuel, fuel was cheap and we could afford to heat our houses by heating the world around us at the same time. They were great days in, in which to have lived. You've been amazingly blessed. They were great times in which to live. But they'll be shown looking back I think that we were profligate with those good things that, that we were given in those times. Either way, I think those days are gone, shown up for what they were, which is poor stewardship and downright injustice. Even if you don't agree, looking forward, there are these two reasons to make a change, good stewardship, acting justly towards the poor. So post-COVID, I think as we're coming back together and as church we're regathering and uh, are moving into new seasons, getting back to some kind of new normal, it's time for us to wake up to community action. Good deeds that God has prepared in advance for you to do. It's time for us to wake up to climate change. And I'm not saying this to you this morning because I've had a sudden conversion to, to, to climate responsibility. It's come on over a number of years and I am convinced Increasingly convinced. I guess I would, probably was one of those sceptics. Says, how can we be really sure this is um, created by humankind? But it doesn't matter, actually, at the end of the day. But actually, it's an increasing dissatisfaction with me and my Christian life that there doesn't seem to be enough deeds to go with the faith. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand that gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light, your good deeds, shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll sing. Father God, we need to ask you for forgiveness because we've not used what you've given us really well. We were short-sighted and we've just gone the way that the world around us has gone. When we should have been in the forefront of justice and we should have been in the forefront of good stewardship. And there have been Christians along there who've been out there, and we've called them cranks. For that, Father God, we ask your forgiveness, please.
forgive us. Please re-energise us for, for this new post-COVID world. Please re-envision us for this uh, world. Please, Lord, set us as a, a city on a hill. Please prompt each of us to, to good deeds that you prepared in advance for us to do individually, different things for each person, that we, and help us then have courage to go out and do them, along with the gospel, so that people may see and glorify you, Father God, in heaven. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.